HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode of Meet and Three is brought to you by the Michigan Cherry Committee. Learn more about the wonderfully tart Montmorency cherry at choosecherries.com. Every place is defined by the people and the layout and the parks, I think, are essential. The hospitality here yes. and the camaraderie is really wonderful. Yes. That's what struck Everybody me. smiles. You know, yeah. if, you, if you are a New Yorker, you're used to walking down the street and people averting your gaze. Totally. Here they meet your eyes and give you a smile. They're happy. I to, can't tell you. They're what happy that to brag does. about their little secret. They're like, "Yeah, we live in Charleston year-round. You, uh, you yes. figured out why it's so wonderful." Right. So I could see coming here a lot more. If you're a fan of Somebody Feed Phil on Netflix, you probably recognize one of those voices. And if you're a fan of HRN's podcast, The Line, you'll recognize the other. That was Phil Rosenthal in conversation with our own Eli Sussman. Both of them were raving about a southern city that's at the heart of this week's episode. Here at HRN, the month of March has become inextricably linked with Charleston, South Carolina. This weekend, for the fifth year in a row, we're taking food radio on the road to the Charleston Wine and Food Festival. We're hosting interviews all weekend long from the Culinary Village. It's a winning combination of great food, great weather, and great conversations. To celebrate our fifth year at Charleston Wine and Food, we compiled some of our favorite moments from last year featuring guests from across the Southeast. I'm Kat Johnson, and this is Meet and Three. Meet and Three. Meet and Three. Meet and Three. One meat, three sides. Food, news, and storytelling. A square meal for your ears. Meet and Three. We kick things off with Javon Sage and Matthew Rayford farmers based in Brunswick, Georgia, and dear friends of HRN. Together, they ran the acclaimed restaurant The Farmer and the Larder, and today they're farming land that goes back generations in Matthew's family. Last year, Eli Sussman sat down with them to hear more about their day-to-day farm life and current projects. I'm Kat Johnson. I'm here with Eli Sussman, host of The Line. Happy we're really to be here. Yeah, we're super excited to talk to Matthew and Jovan. I'm going to let Eli jump on in. Eli's been reading your guys' bio, and he's very interested. I want to hear about the farm, first and foremost. I want to hear a little bit about how long it's been around okay. and, and what happens there, all the magic. It seems like a dream situation. The land's been in my family since 1874, originally purchased by my great-great-great-grandfather, Jupiter Gilliard, who actually was born in South Carolina as a slave somehow made his way down to the Brunswick area and ended up with 476 acres of land. 
that he purchased for less than $9 in taxes. So, yeah, I'm the sixth generation to be on it farming. My children are the seventh to have planted, harvested, and eaten from a crop off of that land. Now we're doing some really magical stuff on the farm. Um, I'll let Javon talk about some of the herbal stuff that we're doing, but one of the highlights that I'm having right now is Simply Man Distillery in Georgia is one of the first Georgia-grown vodkas. And we are now getting ready to help him with his gin because we are going to grow all the botanicals or as much of the botanicals we can possibly grow, mm -hmm. um, we're going to uh, grow at our farm. So like being part of that piece of the puzzle where, you know, we're not talking about farm to table anymore. We're really talking about seed to table or seed to drink. Like what it takes to actually get from one point to the other isn't just about the farm, you know, because uh, every chef in here, regardless of where they go, they they get their food from a farm, whether it comes off a truck or whatever. <laughs> well, and I think it's amazing, you know, for me as the, the resident herbalist and food alchemist is to, you know, work with what the earth provides to pull together some amazing, you know, drinks, whether it's cocktails or doing the specialty gin and Shrubs. really tapping into what we can grow as farmers and what we can pull together as, as cooks and as food alchemists. And so... I'm excited for the opportunities that the farm provides for us to connect with some of those those natural bounties. So for us, you know, we have this patch on our farm that has deer berries, which are the some of the original cultivars for blueberries. And so they're just little really tiny kind of tart um, blueberries that, you know, Matthew's Nana used to turn into jam with her father. And so before she passed at 96, she was able to see these berries come back to the land. And so it's amazing to, to be out there and to watch her joy um, at seeing these varieties come back. And it's actually one of the things that I'm including in the botanical mix for the gin are these deer berries. And so it's amazing to be able to have that full circle experience with the land. What yeah. grows really well on the farm? And are there things that just in that area of the United States that don't work really well? Or have you had, have you had great success on the farm with, with your crops? Well, I'll, I'll start off by saying we're on a silty, sandy loam. We're on the Piedmont uh, with those shells, mm -hmm. you know, kind of like rubbed up against each other. So imagine if you mix dirt with sand. Yes. You've got our earth. Yes. There you go. That sounds like that would be really poor. Really conditions. poor, right? <laughs> However, you could literally, uh, we, we grow sea island red peas, for instance. Sea island red peas are grown in that soil because it doesn't have enough fertility. The most amazing it pea prefers They prefer poor soil. soil, right? Rice. Rice needs water. It needs a nice amount of drainage. Perfect soil where we are. You know, so a lot of what we're growing is conducive to what is actually in Georgia zone 9A because of where we are in Georgia. Most of, most of Georgia's 8A, 8B so far as a planting zone. We're 9A. So that means we're as subtropical as any point going into Florida. To hear more of Matthew Rayford and Javon Sage's conversation with HRN, listen to episode 230 of HRN on Tour. Design and color were hot topics at last year's Charleston Wine and Food as we teamed up with Le Creuset to bring our bright, beautiful podcast studio to life. 
Harry Rosenblum, the host of Feast Your Ear, spoke with Nate Collier, the director of marketing at Le Creuset, about how new colors get chosen, manufactured, and marketed each season. So what is the process for new colors? Is there one person at the company who is charged with deciding, like, we're going to make fig and this is going to be a color we're going to put out? Or is it a team effort? How does it work? So it is a team effort, but it's also, um, you know, we're a, we are an international company. We're, we're, we're based in Europe, but the different subsidiaries operate autonomously. And so being the biggest one in the U.S., we drive a lot of that uh, for the company. But, you know, you get to choose market to market. And you think about Asia, they have, I think, five or six different pinks and purples. Um, And so it's different what they think people are going to react to. And so we've gotten a lot more sophisticated with it in the U.S. from trend forecasting and, and really pride ourselves on forecasting and not watching what's coming out and then trying to mimic that. So we work with a couple different agencies. We work internally, um, and we're about two years out. And so right. we we look at cultural trends, at food trends, at obviously what gaps we might have in our yep. portfolio. And then, you know, that is one part of it. And then we have to go back to the factory where there's chemists and color right. engineers that have to say, <laughs> able to make it. no, there's no way you can make that color, or it's going to take us a while to figure it out. Some of the purples, for example, when they put the enamel on the pot, they look like pale pink. But by the time you fire it and those minerals change in the oven, it comes out a brighter, vibrant purple. And they have to know how that is going to happen. There's everything from gold to different minerals and glasses and things like that in the in, in the enamel. Um, so they have to validate it and make sure that we can make it as well. But it's become more of a statement for people. And so... The new colors we have out now are a much more muted, neutral palette. And so we saw a need from cultural trends of a lot of noise in the marketplace, and not just from products, but from TV, media, digital, everything that, you know, we saw people reacting to more of a kind of a calming space. And so we took that inspiration to go with it. And and two years from now, we might be back on brighter, saturated primary colors, which we're known for. But uh, we we like to find that inspiration in a number of different places. To hear more about Le Creuset, be sure to check out episode 224 of HRN on Tour. We'll be right back with more Charleston Wine and Food highlights on Meet and 3. This episode of Meet and 3 is brought to you by the Michigan Cherry Committee, representing 75% of U.S.-grown Montmorency tart cherry production. With over 100 articles published in health journals stating the vast health benefits of Michigan superfruit, it's best to choose the cherry with more. U.S. Montmorency Tart Cherries. They're available year-round, dried, frozen, canned, juice, and concentrate. Welcome back to Meet and 3. Each year at Charleston Wine and Food, Sam and Ruby brings us a stellar lineup of wine-focused panels and interviews. Last year, one of those conversations focused on how the world of wine is changing. Social media has become a new tool for wine bars to engage with patrons, and the market is really starting to accommodate the desires and tastes of millennials. To discuss how these two dynamic forces are changing the game, Sam gathered three of Charleston's favorite wine pros, Femi Oyadarian and Miles White of Graft, and Matt Tunstall of Stems and Skins. Both establishments are dealing with these changes in real time. Here's a snippet of their conversation. Miles, you alluded to this before. 
Charleston's definitely a college town. Not big drinkers because of legal age. But it's a young town. I mean, is it a millennial town? Are millennials shaping the market, you know, as far as eating habits, wine habits? I mean, do you feel yeah. a millennial uh, I mean, I don't, touch I don't, to the market? I don't think we get a lot of college kids. I mean, we No, get, forget the college kids, but it is a college town. No, but then, I mean, that's the thing about um, you could have a whole another podcast about social media influence on wine and yeah, what, I would love because like that. wines come into the spotlight and then a month later they go away. And how'd you know my next question? Yeah, but talk to me about how is the market getting younger? Are they millennials? Do they spend money? Are they interested? Do they give a shit about the store? Hundred percent. People, I think, I think the millennials, i.e., people younger than us, they want an experience. They want to be a part of it, and they want to like, they want to learn, and they want, you know. It's not like they want to be taken care of hand and foot. They want to actually be a part of it. And I think that's hugely important to why all of our places are successful because it's not like, hey, come in, we're going to take care of you. You don't have to think about a thing. They're curious. They want to know about it. And they've read about certain wines that are happening in certain bigger markets. And um, it allows us to experiment a lot more. And it's like people are open to trying new things. It's like, you like Savion Blanc? I don't have one by the glass, but I've got something that you might not have had and you're probably going to like it. I agree that people definitely want the experience, millennials, and I think they're more about not trophy wines or rare wines. They're more about the story behind. Like, Ganavad is probably, you know, a good story and a good wine. I mean, do you agree? I mean, that's that's your existence in a way. Up yeah, there, right? absolutely. They're, they're um, like we mentioned earlier, that's the perfect guest for trying something new. They come in excited. They know enough to be dangerous and, and it's unique producers and stuff like that. And they're, they're, they're up for whatever you're excited about, they're going to definitely try it. And that's, that's definitely age appropriate, right? Yeah, I, mean, I definitely Because old so. farts like yeah. me who want to experiment but like the other stuff, they come in more with, you know, open arms and all Absolutely. of that. Absolutely, yeah. Fam, you agree? I mean, millennials, are they affecting your market? Is it a big customer? I mean, I think that, you know, we can talk all we want about a good story, but a good story is useless if the wine isn't great. So well, I think that, that... We leave it to you guys yeah. to find the story and the yes. winemaker yeah. and the good and wine. And hopefully so. the wine is good. But I think, yeah, I think ultimately a, a lot of people that we talk to, millennials, they're looking for good wine. They're looking for good wine. Um, it's also, I mean, value is huge, you know. That's something that we've seen in the retail sector, you know, that um, people want good wine with a good story, but they don't want to spend a ton of money on wine. To hear more from Femi, Miles, and Matt, listen to episode 232 of HRN on Tour. For our final highlight, I bring you a bit of a conversation I had last year with Robert Stelling, the longtime chef behind Hominy Grill, and Matt and Ted Lee, also known as the Lee Brothers. We discussed a cooking demo they collaborated on at the 2019 Southeastern Wildlife Exposition which is another large annual food event that takes place in Charleston every spring. As you'll hear, the demo featured a pretty unique low country dish featuring a fishy delicacy. We demoed shadro, which is a, a local delicacy um, that's in season right now. And um, it was fun to do. It's kind of offbeat and not very Instagrammable. It's highly Instagrammable. It looks so gory. When it's raw, it's got like veins, like, you know, wrapping around it. It looks like a, an organ that you're not quite sure what it is. It could be human. Um, 
and it's, to be and it's very red. It's like the deepest red you can get before you get to a gemstone. Yeah, can you, you know? like describe it a little bit more too? If people have a connotation in their mind about roe, like caviar that you get from Russ and Daughters, how does it differ from that? It's like torpedo shaped, but two of them bound together. It looks like a sausage. Kind of, yeah, yeah. Tapered or sausage, a kidney with veins on it. A kidney with veins on yeah, it, squish, right? Squished out kidney. And with it's veins filled on with it. very small eggs. It's, don't don't visualize salmon roe. Yeah, those, they're like, much smaller. Big poppers. These are tiny micro eggs, and so it, it when you you can almost be fooled into thinking it's like flesh or liver how, or something. Actually, Robert, how how heavy is like an average shad roe? Oh my gosh, I don't know. It's been years since it's I've, like I've weighed them. Probably right. is, is it like no, ounces? half half a set's probably about three and a half, four ounces maybe. Yeah. So so like six, yeah. seven, eight ounces. And and flavor wise, it's very rich. You know, it's very. Uh, what, how would but you describe the flavor, Robert? It's not like salmon eggs. It it has more neutral yeah. fish egg kind of it, approach. It's really rich, but it's a, a delicate fishiness, and and the texture has just enough crunch to it still. Um, all the little eggs and stuff. So well, when y'all soft were, and kind of grainy at the same time. So as he was sautéing it in the pan on stage a few weeks ago, um, uh, some of the eggs that get loose will get to a stage where they kind of pop like popcorn and splatter grease and stuff, he, and it got exciting. The cooks love that at the restaurant. They have to wear long sleeves during shad row season. Hear the rest of this conversation on episode two hundred twenty-two of HRN on tour. That's our show. Thanks for listening. And be sure to tune in to all of our live coverage of this year's Charleston Wine and Food on March 6th, 7th, and 8th, 2020. We're live from 12 p.m. to 5 p.m. each day. Meet and 3 is produced by Hannah Forden, Matt Patterson, Katie Mosman-Wadler, Dylan Hoyer, and me, Kat Johnson. Our audio engineer is Matt Patterson. Our theme song was composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. This program is supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council. Meet and 3 is powered by Simplecast. Meet and 3 is a production of Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org and follow us at heritage underscore radio. And stay in touch. Whether you have a story idea for us or just want to say hello, you can write us at ideas at meetand3.nyc. That's all spelled out.